Hello and welcome to You Just Got Homeschooled. I'm RJ and today I kind of want to follow up um, with my last podcast which is Good Enough Verse Perfect. And it wasn't intentional. I wasn't planning this. Obviously it's been a little bit longer than I would like to go without um, recording and, and publishing. But the reality is life is busy sometimes and this week like last week was quite busy and so I'm here um, recording uh, later than I would normally like to record, but that's okay. But what motivated this was a little bit of open time, but more importantly, a article I read today that reminded me of what I'd said in my last podcast and, and added some evidence to it. So the article was about um, the optimal zone for learning, like how hard such a should something be for you to learn um, in order to like learn the most efficiently. And it links to what I was talking about because good enough versus perfect was kind of in that ballpark of sometimes we pursue perfection, but we're not exactly sure why. So this study was done by a bunch of scientists and it was using um, evidence from machine learning, which if you don't know what machine learning is, it is Basically, what the what they do is they use a bunch of computers and a bunch of algorithms um, to create a neural network, which is basically like a computer's uh, version of a brain, I guess, and they use it for learning. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to check, it's trying to gather information. So if you've ever um, been on the computer and you've had one of those like security things popped up, and it has you know has like maybe nine or 12 tiles and it says click all the ones that include a car or stairs or I had one the other day it was a bus right Um, what it's doing is trying to verify that you're a human and not a computer because computers have a really hard time um, picking out buses from a bunch of pictures um, or cars or whatever else because they they don't they think of either yes or no basically and so um the, the machine learning is a way in which computers can learn things, take in information, and learn to sort that information. Um, it's funny because we do this naturally. I've talked about it before. Um, you know, I have a newborn. And as he grows up and as my other kids are growing up, we teach them by pointing out individuals of a particular thing and labeling them. So we might point to a chair, and that's a chair, and then that's also a chair. And even though you would have vastly different chairs, I mean, think of rolling desk chairs, kitchen chairs, lounge chairs, um, wingback chairs, you know, all those type of things are all different kinds of chairs, and yet they have this one category. And so the way machine learning works is typically there's an input level where um, – the computer guesses, basically. You can show it an image and the computer guesses and then it's confirmed whether or not it's called guided, guided learning. Um, then a person comes in and says, yes, that's correct. So if we were to give a computer a bunch of pictures of chairs and not chairs, right? And, just, and it would say, you'd take the picture and say, chair. And then a person would say, yes, that's a chair or no, that's not a chair. And eventually, hopefully, um, the computer would learn, basically, through all these mechanizations, this machine learning, what constitutes a chair? What characteristics make it a chair? Right? Because we would call something a chair and not, but a stool is not a chair, typically speaking, is the way that we would phrase it. And so um, the machine learning learns that way. And so they use these computer models to figure out what is the optimal success rate that they're looking for 
in order to learn the fastest. And granted, it's using machines and not human beings, but I think it holds true based on my own experience. And so this is what they came to. If you get a 50% success rate, that's too low, right? What happens if you only, if you're trying really hard and you only get 50% right? Typically, you get frustrated and give up, right? Um, what happens if it's too easy, right? You, get it, you always get it right all the time. So let's say you're playing a game of cards, right? You play Slapjack. If you don't know what that game is, it's a game where you like basically have a half a deck of cards. You divvy up the cards between two players and you flip them over one at a time on top of the, the ones previously. And then whenever a jack gets thrown, you slap down on top of it and, and you get the pile. And the whole goal is to get the other person's pile through this method. But can you imagine playing Slapjack against a three-year-old? Right? You're going to win every time if you play honestly because you're a grown-up and you're faster. Right, or if you you know play against an elderly person that just can't process that quickly, you're gonna have the same results. And so, if it's too easy, it's no longer fun. If it's too hard, it's no longer fun. This is why, if you've ever played a video game, they have this down pat. Um, they increase the difficulty incrementally. Right, the next level needs to be just a little bit harder. Right, but. As your skills grow, they can increase the difficulty of the game. And so they want to keep you in this bracket where it's not so easy that you get bored, but not so hard that you give up, right? And, and I know this because, I mean, I don't play lots of video games. I don't have the time, but I have, um, I, I go through video games periodically on my phone or my tablet, and they're kind of that dumb type of video game. Um, I think the one I'm playing right now is like a World War One fighter pilot game and that sounds ridiculous but you know it sounds like fun to me and so I was playing it and and it was starting to get too easy and then I literally just not half an hour ago was playing as I was putting my kids to bed and it got harder and I got harder by then just adding in things I'd seen before but in larger concentrations and so it just upped the ante and made it much more difficult to win the game, which then keeps my interest because it wasn't so hard that I was just going to fail every time, but it was hard enough that I failed a couple of times, had to regroup and then try again, right? So what they found, what this, this study found is that the optimal success percentage for learning is about 85%. You want about 85% success rate. Right, that's enough of enough winning to make it enjoyable, or at least um, maintainable. Right, but it's also that means that you're working on that boundary line where you're actually pushing yourself. So, as far as homeschooling goes, that's actually kind of a relief, right? Meaning that it makes it much easier for me as a homeschool parent to assess whether or not my kid is kind of working at their potential because, or at least at their, at their level, because if I'm pushing my fifth grader, right, to do a particular kind of math problem and they're consistently getting 100% right, that is a good thing, but it might mean that the problems aren't hard enough. But if they're consistently getting 50, 60, you know, 75% right, that might mean that we need to slow down and regroup Right, think over what it is that they're struggling with, what kind of things are they missing, and and push them a little bit further. Go back reteach and then 
hopefully we'll get to where that's an 85% mark. And so I think that's important for us as, as homeschoolers to know, to keep aware of, to be aware of as we're teaching. And, and I think it acts as a really good rule of thumb um, for us when we're kind of progressing in our learning to kind of stay on that edge, that edge where you don't learn unless you're challenging yourself and you're not challenging yourself if you're getting everything right every time. And, and so what you're really looking for is that, wh- where is that? Where's that, that line where you're, you're pressing against the edge of what you're capable of um, in with what you already know and, and progressing into an area that you don't know? And I think 85% is a good boundary line. If you can consistently get 85% of something, but you're still progressing. So, you know, in a week or two weeks or a month or two months, right, you look back and you go, oh, I really have progressed. I'm not like set on the same subject at 80 or the same topic for at 85%. But I look back, especially at something that's progressive like math, um, where you can look back and go, well, I was, you know, I'm consistently getting 85s, but I'm moving forward and I'm still able to succeed. Because you have to understand some things are also um, a, a product of practice. And we know this just from, from everyday life. If you're a sports person at all, if you ever even watch sports, you know that practice becomes important. Not because um, it it makes perfection all the time, but because it gives you that opportunity to, to hash things over and over and over and over and over again. So that the, the things that start out small where you'd have a relatively low success rate, as you practice them, that success rate goes up and you get better and better and better. Right. So um, I did Taekwondo. If you've been listening for a while, you may have heard me mention this before. I did Taekwondo and, and uh, earned a black belt in it uh, while I was in college. And if you block 80 for 85% of strikes, Right, people trying to hit you or kick you—that's pretty good. I mean, obviously, one hundred percent won't be perfect, but if it was perfect, if you're blocking everything the other person threw at you, then you're never going to get any better because you're not having someone who's fast enough or sneaky enough or whatever to get through your blocks. So you actually need that pressing on you. You need that failure to get better at it, right? I know that. Um, for example, I had a a friend of mine um, who was in my class with me and, and from day one, like we spent the entire, we did the whole thing together. And so we ended up sparring each other a lot because after we got through the first like year, um, many of the people in our class dropped out. And so there was me and her and one other guy and then I think an- another girl or two who are like the class ahead of us. And we would spar regularly, um, which if you don't know what sparring is, is basically like fighting full speed, not full power. So... Um, you know, you're trying what you want, you're doing everything, you're just not making contact with full force, which does make a difference when you're dealing with someone who's considerably smaller than you, which in her case, she was. And so I wasn't trying to hurt her. But one of the things that, you know, over the course of these two and a half years that we did this together, um, in the beginning, when we first started sparring after about the first semester or so, um, she would throw a punch. So she would throw a, a punch at me. So let's say she was throwing a, a right-handed punch at me. And so I'm facing her and she threw a right-handed punch at me. And what I would do is I would block her in the direction that she was already moving, like her momentum was already moving. So in the process, as I push her arm out of the way, she turns her back to me. And then from there, I would reach around her since my arms are longer and basically bop her on the back of the head. Because now her back or part of her back is to me. And I did this consistently. I want to say for close to a year. 
Um, and, and she knew it. Like, we'd spar, you know, probably every week, close to every week. And she knew this. And it took her about that amount of time for her to shift. And I remember when she stopped, when she stopped falling for that. Because all of a sudden, she realized what he's going to do is, and I'm going to counteract that with. And then all of a sudden, I got caught with a punch or a kick I was not expecting, simply because she had caught on to, I do this pattern when she tries to do this thing, right? And, but that's the dynamics of that 85%. You want to stay on the edge where you're constantly being pushed to learn something new and to learn it better, right? And so um, now some things are a little bit more difficult, things that are just like rote memory. Like obviously you want to have your times tables down pat. Um, but especially with complex math or with um, writing skills, anything that's a progressive type of knowledge or something that can be built upon, 85% is pretty good as long as um, there's that practice on the back end, right? Because if I'm, if I'm progressing in math, the likelihood of me using stuff that I learned in the past is pretty high. I'm going to be practicing those things that, that, that 15% that I missed over and over and over again in the process of doing more advanced math. If I'm writing, it's the same thing. I'm going to you know, get caught over and over and over again on the same things until I learn. For me, um, I didn't learn how to spell the word witch, W-H-I-C-H, until I was in fourth or fifth grade um, consistently because no one called me on it consistently. And once I got it called on it and dinged on it, all my papers and stuff like that, or even just my regular classwork, over and over and over again, then I finally begin to ingrain, oh, it's W-H-I-C-H. And so it's just that practice thing. But that 85% is a great rule. So I want you to keep that in mind as you're educating your own kids, as you're going about it, and, and not to disparage an 85, because 85 is still pretty good. You got most of it, right? You got 85%. You got four out of five, more than four out of five. On that, and that's a pretty good thing for something that, that was supposedly newish knowledge, right? And so, um, be encouraged by that. Now, obviously, you want to shoot for kind of a perfection in a sense, but the question becomes, what's the cost, right? Do, if it takes you an extra three weeks of education, right, of, of three weeks of teaching to go from an eighty-five to a hundred, is it worth it? When if you make that six weeks and progress with the lesson or the, le- the series of lessons, right? they will be at that 100% for that same topic or that same concept because they will have practiced it enough in that six-week time frame, right? Um, one of my favorite math curriculums actually is called Saxon Math. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or used it. I was introduced to it when I switched schools um, going into fifth grade. And um, at first it was kind of novel but or weird and a little bit hard to understand initially but once you got the flow of it, I loved it because, and, and I learned later on as a teacher why most teachers hate it. But as a student and as a parent, I love it, and this is why. You cannot test a kid on a topic that you teach today for like a month in Saxon math. Because instead of having, you know, teach the lesson today, practice it 30 times today, test on it at the end of the week, they integrate it into a a test cycle or not a test cycle, but into a, there's, there's 30, 30 problems every day for you to complete. That's your like daily workload. Um, there's less than 30 problems and it takes that month or more of daily problems to go through that topic enough times for them to be satisfied that you've learned it 
and then can be tested on it. So teachers hate it from that reason because they can't say, oh, they've got it. And I love it for the exact same reason. Because at the end of a month or six weeks or whatever it is, at the end of a a single lesson, the, the problem set of 30 problems, you will have, as a student, practiced pretty much every single concept you have covered in that book so far. So like for me, I did it for, I think I did like five levels of it. No, three, four, three levels of it, four levels, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, and I, so that was, I ended it in eighth grade. I didn't see anything brand new to me in math until I hit pre-calculus and trigonometry because everything can be covered in what they consider algebra one half or pre-algebra. Um, and it also like inoculates you against word problems. Like a lot of kids are afraid of word problems, but every problem set had eight to 10 of them. And so I did those, you know, I did somewhere around 50 problems, word problems every week as part of my homework and everything was reviewed. And so you just practice it every day. It's kind of like learning a language, right? You practice and practice and practice and practice. And if you're not practicing daily, it, it hurts you. And so, or it makes it more difficult to learn. Um, and so I loved Saxon math for that reason. So um, I just thought it was awesome that what I read today uh, gave me some more real evidence that good enough is sometimes the right tack to take or the right path to take, um, and that perfect is sometimes a problem. And I found it in the form of research and an article. And granted, you know, you can take it or leave it as far as whether you believe machine learning is a good model, but. I think that humans are far more capable, far more um, dynamic, far more adaptive than computers are. And if computers can operate on that, then it would make sense that we can as well. And we may actually thrive better and score better simply because we're able to adapt more quickly. And if you look at you know video games, that's exactly how they play out. Every level has got to be just hard enough to keep your interest, but not so hard that it crushes your spirit. Right? And that's what we want to do as homeschoolers. We want to keep their interest and not crush their spirit. Get them to move forward. Get them to move um, at, a, at a pace that is satisfactory. And the nice part is, is if you kind of take an 85% um, model, you can have some sort of metric, some sort of measurement of whether or not they're able to progress. And then you can say, oh, you got 85%. Let's move on. Let's move on and, and we'll pick up some of that, those pieces. But if you're really interested, you can have them keep pressing. Right? And they can go down the subfields and the sub-rabbit trails of whatever topic it is they're learning and still pursue that 85% type model. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I'm trying to get better about doing it throughout the week, but with four kids, five and under, um, that presents a challenge, especially when I get to record mostly in the evenings and trying to find quiet time uh, is, is difficult to do. So... I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Please like, subscribe, hit the buttons of the stars, leave a review, tell a friend, um, go check out our website, youjustgothomeschooled.com and follow us on Instagram, homeschooled podcast. Thanks and have a great day.